Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. As if the McCrispy couldn't get any better, Bacon and Ranch just entered the chat. The Bacon Ranch McCrispy. Available at participating McDonald's for a limited time. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Davis steps under center. Gibson and McClendon behind it. Davis with motion by Richard. Will get the ball to McClendon. He leaps. Oh, he doesn't get in. He fumbled the football. Carolina holds. The game is over. And Carolina has won the game. Finley to throw. Over the middle. Intercepted. Wolfuck again. Wolfuck the other way. At the 30. The 40. Wolfuck to midfield. Miles Wolfuck with the pick. The heels on the doorstep of an enormous victory. Left side of the line. Hood standing to Williams is right. Williams going to throw. One-on-one. Davis has it. Touchdown. Carolina wins. Carolina is the Coastal Division champion. Bernard fields it at the 26. Heading to the far side. Gio at the 35. Gio, he's at the 50. No, he's not. Yes, he is. Gio, he's going to take it for a touchdown. Are you kidding me? Connor Barth for the possible win. Snap. Spot. Kick away. High enough. Long enough. Hey guys, and welcome to another edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. It's your host, Anthony Pagnotta, with you guys as always. And today it is time for an off-season edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. And uh, we have to jump into the news that broke earlier today. That is that the Tar Heels and cornerbacks coach Dre Bly have parted ways. We are going to dive into that and tell you everything that you need to know about the situation uh, as well as talk about our reactions to the first move from Mac Brown involving his coaching staff this offseason. Uh, do we think this is it? Uh, is this enough? We'll tell you all of that stuff. We, of course, will have to talk about the return of Corey Gaynor on the offensive line for Carolina, and then we will talk about in the back end of the show uh, a little bit about Justin Olsen hitting the transfer portal and the Tar Heels bringing in a transfer punter from Australia for the second time in the last 10 years. So uh, hang around for all of that. But, yeah, we can't wait any longer as Josh Marlowe's here with me to talk about uh, the news that we felt was probably coming at some point, or we were at least hoping would be coming at some point. Uh, Carolina needed to make some changes on the defensive side of the football. And Mac Brown said that he was going to take some time after the Holiday Bowl. He was going to really go on a little bit of a hiatus, I think just away from football, kind of turn off for a week. And then he was going to get back into the offices on Friday. He was going to sit down with some coaches and have some conversations. And it seems like they had those conversations early on this week or on Friday of last week. 
and Mac Brown came to the decision, along with Dre Bly, uh, that they were going to mutually part ways. Uh, this was an, apparently a decision between him and Bly, and it was officially released earlier today by the university. So uh, this is uh, this is an interesting move. A lot of people, some people think this is a move that was really more Dre Bly than Mac Brown. And I don't know if that's something where they're trying to sort of discredit Mac Brown for making a decision here. But this this seems like I, when Mac Brown says that this is mutual, I I really, for some reason, I do believe that this is an actu- actually a mutual parting of ways between the two sides. I mean, yeah, I hope so because, uh, and I tweeted this out at HTB underscore Josh, the fact that he came to this decision restores faith that Mac Brown is still the right guy to lead the program. This was a necessary move. Um, I mean, I, I hate it on, 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 the, on the surface that Drake, or not Drake, but Dre is a Tar Heel. He's one of the best to ever play here, but... As I've said many times since I really got to this idea and conclusion that he shouldn't be on this coaching staff, just because you're a great player doesn't mean that you're a great coach. And, you know, when you saw the mass exodus of talent and depth from that room this year, mm-hmm. that was the player sending a message that they didn't feel like they were being they were they were getting the most out of their talent. And that's a. I mean, it's not all on coaching. Like some of it is player, player uh, uh, problems as well. But th- that's that's where you first look. And you know, um, you know, we we said that you know it'd be if he could stay on as a as a recruiter in some form or fashion. I think you know we would have been okay with that. But I think Drake could look at the situation and just say that maybe even if he was removed from the staff, but say as a recruiter, that'd still be. You know, a weird situation, a distraction, if you will, and, and maybe he can take some time to whether he, he stays in coaching and in the, in the college level or goes to the high school level again, just get some more experience because he was put in a really tough spot. Like he was yep. given a job out off one year of coaching high school football, um, but it was a move that Mac Brown made for recruiting, and that was that was the sacrifice that we made in the hire was we, we probably knew at the time, hey, our cornerback play is going to struggle to begin with as he learns the ropes of coaching at the college level, but he's going to get talent in here. Well, he got the talent in here, but he could never hold up his end of the bargain as a coach, and that's why we are where we are today. Yeah, I mean, look, that's the thing that's complicated about this move is that this was, on one hand, an extremely successful hire recruiting-wise. I mean, he knocked it out of the park. You could not have really asked for much more from him considering the recruitments that he helped head up. And I firmly believe that when you look at this staff, I mean, there are a lot of good recruiters on this staff. You could make the argument that he is probably, or was at this point, probably the best recruiter of anybody that that has been on this Tar Heel staff since 2019. I think he has just done that good of a job. And, you, I mean, again, you, you look at some of the big names that he was involved in landing, um, really just from the state of Virginia. I mean, Tony Grimes was massive. Um, and then, you know, r- r- pretty much every other 757 guy 
that Carolina was involved in, he had a hand in that recruitment. And I think that's probably the biggest concern that a lot of people have. When you combine not only that, you know, with his success there and now the fact that he won't be there anymore, but the fact that Tony Grimes is no longer at Carolina, his dad very influential, especially in that 757 area of the country, and that's also a spot where Penn State has really ramped up their recruiting in over the last couple of years. This past cycle, you know, Carolina did all right in the state of Virginia. Uh, Virginia Tech, Virginia did okay. But the, the, the school that was the biggest issue for Carolina that even more so than in past years was Penn State. So from that aspect, how concerned are you about the fact that Carolina could lose a little bit of steam from the state of Virginia? Because that has been an extremely important pipeline for Carolina as they've tried to re- to rebuild the depth and the overall talent of the roster. I mean, it's it's gonna it's gonna hurt it. I think a little bit just off the you know just off the forefront because you're losing Dre Bly, but. And this is where Mac Brown and his ability to communicate and relate to people has really got to come through and you make sure you put the right guy in charge of that area. And and so, I mean, I their recruiting was going to dip more so because of what Brent Pry's doing in the state of in, in that state as Virginia Tech's head coach more as much as Dre Bly's being fired, I think. And, and so you just got to hope that you get the, you know, enough of the kids that you need. Because what Carolina was doing in that state since Mac Brown came back was only made possible by how bad Virginia and Virginia Tech had been. Well, now Virginia Tech has got a guy that knows their program, played there, coached there, um, knows what it takes to win there. He's going to rebuild a lot of those same relationships that Justin Fuente screwed up. Tony Elliott's a guy that is a is a pretty good recruiter. And so Carolina's was going to dip a little bit. I think as long as they can get the kids that they, the kids that they need, and most of the kids that they want, you're going to be okay. And this also maybe allows Carolina to look other places in the southeast to go get the talent that you need and the talent that you want to compete and win at a high level in the ACC. Well, I don't, I don't think you can stop recruiting this area. I think this has to still be one of your strengths because you're not going into the state of Georgia and winning a lot of recruiting battles, especially not now. Um, you're not going into the state of Florida and winning recruiting battles. So to me, I, I have—I mean, I, to me, I have to disagree. I think that still needs to be an area that Carolina hits extremely hard. And I, I think, you know, Mac Brown and his relationships there—we're we're, going to see how strong they are. We're going to see how much you know work the rest of the staff has been doing there, as opposed to just Dre Bly. And the other thing is, is that look when they're looking for a new. Uh, you know, a new candidate to fill one of the assistant spots, it could be, you know, look for somebody that has had success in the state of Virginia before. That could be something that Carolina really takes a hard look at uh, because you're right. Brent Pry is a guy that is going to make that a focus. Um, he did when he was at Penn State, and that you, you have to imagine that's going to be a big focus of his moving forward. Uh, Tony Elliott at Virginia, probably a little less concerning um, I mean, yeah, he is a good recruiter, but, I mean, the thing about him is, at this point, how long is he actually going to be there? I mean, this was a brutal start to his first year, 
Um, and I get, you know, everything that happened at the end of the season sort of, you know, put everything on hold, and we'll see, you know, how they build off of that. I just think it's going to be really, really hard, especially if Virginia Tech can get back to being a a, a competitive force in the ACC, uh, which I think is definitely possible, uh, and Penn State continues to do what they're doing. So it'll be interesting to see how Carolina sort of sustains that pipeline because I think it is extremely important. But like I wrote in the article when it came to breaking down this firing or or, or parting of ways, excuse me, I, this had to happen. There, there was just no way around it. And for me... It's a move that had to happen because of the development of the corners in his room. Now, this is the thing that people have to realize. Because when I put the post out earlier and I was reading some of the comments, a lot of people are associating Dre Bly with the lack of success at safety as well. Dre Bly never coached the safeties. He only coached the corners. Uh, Jay Bateman coached the safeties for the first three years of the uh, since Mac Brown returned. And then this past year, that was coached by Charlton Warren. So, and and part of that, to me, I think is the talent that's back there. Carolina's going to rotate in some new guys there. We'll see if that'll help out just a little bit. I don't think that was the issue at corner. I think corner, they had the talent. It's just, you saw so many different guys that came through this room that were really good early in their career showed flashes or, you know, in the case of Storm Duck, pretty much started the entire year. I mean, he was looking like he was legitimately going to be a first-team All-ACC type of guy, maybe eventually become an All-American. And again, with him, there's the element of injuries, but that's the thing that frustrated me the most about this room was every guy that we saw flash at some point, it seemed like, Whenever they were in, when they had to build off of that, when they had an offseason to build off of that, for some reason, there was a decline instead of them progressing. Yeah, and that, and that I mean that that's that's coaching. That's that's where we got the most frustrated with, where it came with, with especially with Grimes and Storm Duck. Now I thought Storm Duck closed this past season really really strong. The best we saw Tony Grimes was when he played. As a true freshman in the last and then the last three or four games of the COVID shortened season, since yep. then this wasn't a good football player, um, and, and for some reason, for some reason it just didn't click here. There, there was you the you had the relationship off the field because you recruited these guys here, but the but it never really translated onto the field. And I think the biggest reason why I wanted this move to be made was we saw some other guys step up at the end of the year. We all pretty we all feel pretty good about Marcus Allen. We yep. all feel pretty good about Legend Cavazos. I don't want those guys to go to waste like Storm Duck and Tony Grimes did and they end up not becoming the best version of themselves or transferring altogether from the program. And so that's the thing is that, you know, Hubert or not Hubert Davis, but Dre, uh, oh, Mac Brown had to just look at it and say, Dre, Dre, this isn't working. And that's that was why we got so excited about the hire of Mac Brown was that we felt like we finally had a coach that would be willing to make the tough decisions mm-hmm. you know and and for a little bit he seemed very reluctant to do such a thing and 
you know, that 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 was why when the news broke and I broke it on on the radio show that I I produce, there was almost like a celebration to it because there was just so much reluctance that if, if there was so much hesitancy, was he actually going to to make the move? And and he did. Um, hopefully, Dre land, you know he'll land on his feet, and, and and you know hopefully he doesn't quit coaching and he uses to motivate motivate himself to become a better football coach, but. This is the first move Mac Brown had to make if he wants to keep his program relevant in the ACC. Yeah, and there, I mean, there's no doubt about that in my mind. And I think that that was more of what it was. You're right. It was the fact that Carolina made the move off of a guy that was so tied to the program, that was so tied to Mac Brown personally. It's not. It's not because, an easy thing to do to fire. One of your one of your own, for him. I mean, dude, Dre Bly was like a second son of the you know, as great an ambassador as there is for Carolina football. Right. Like the same things we think about Sam Howell. What we're gonna think about Drake May. A lot of Tar Heel fans feel about Dre Bly. But you know, this was something that you know you just you had to be able to make the decision, and we know how loyal Mac Brown is. But loyalty gets you fired. Yeah. I mean, look, the thing, look at last year. The move that Carolina made with Stacey Searles was not a move. Like, that wasn't Mac Brown making that move. Stacey Searles left for Georgia. Yep. So, like, you can't really blame him. Yeah. And, and I mean, look, apparently, apparently that's worked out incredibly well. I have many questions, to be honest with you. But, I, I mean, that's, that's the thing to me is that he deserves credit for this and maybe who knows maybe it was on Dre's end that he actually wanted to move on I'm not sure about that but I think he if if that even if that is true he sensed that one there was some writing on the wall that this could be coming and to me especially when you see this type of phrasing mutual parting of ways it's never usually a mutual parting of ways that is a very that is an overused term. I think what you're saying with him being a program legend, this feels like it's almost out of respect for him. At hey, look, we talked to him. We think it's in the best interest on you know on both sides that we end up moving on here. And I mean, look, we we mentioned Tony Grimes, Storm Doug. Look, there's other guys too. I mean, Kyler McMichael. You saw him come in as a transfer. That's the other thing too. How many different transfers did they try to bring into this room to help this room out? And it still struggled. That's the thing to me that's concerning. And look, do do I know that it's going to get immensely better with him gone? No. I have no idea because I got to be honest, the way that the safety still struggled at times this year, a little bit concerning to me because Charlton Warren, you would expect, is going to take over the rest of this room. But you have to get somebody in here that can at least develop these guys a little bit more. Because as you said, with Marcus Allen, we don't want to see that same trajectory. We really think there's a ton of upside with him. Cavazos, eh, yeah, I mean, but there, there are other guys that Carolina is going to bring into the program as well. You're bringing in two, two transfers that can help you at the position. You're hoping that with new coaching, a new philosophy, maybe it works out. And the other th- reason why this is big is this is 
the first guy outside of Charlton Warren that will now, you would hope, will be hired by Gene Chizik, or at least will be he will be consulted heavily on this hire because Carolina brought in Gene Chizik last year, but they kept their defensive line coach, their linebackers coach, and their cornerbacks coach and basically just said, make it work. That's the thing. And so when you say that it's this has to be the first step, I think it's obvious at this point we we think Tim Cross has to go. Yes. And I don't understand why that move has not been made. And I'm telling you, I would be stunned at this point if it is actually made because he just he, he just offered a prospect the other day. So it seems like they are still going about this as if they are going to have him as a part of the staff. And that just drives me insane. I just I that I don't understand what you have seen from that dude that gives you confidence. And if you say, well, you know, this was just his first year under Gene Chizik, maybe it's Gene Chizik's scheme. Okay. Well, did you were you blown away by what you saw in 2020 and 2021 by his units? Not really. I mean, the numbers were nowhere near as bad as they were this year. But they weren't great. And now you have a historically bad season. You had 21 tackles for loss and 10 sacks the entire season. 109 quarterback hurries all year. For for, for a reference point to how little that actually is, you had an opponent in Clemson that had 28 in one game on the other side of the ball against you in the ACC championship game, which is almost a fourth of the amount of quarterback hurries that you had all freaking season. How is that not a move that's made? Yeah. yeah. My God. And it's still going to be something where we look at this off this off season and say, you, you know, you, you, you did something, but you didn't do enough. And you know is that, is that isn't that how we felt a little bit last year? So, yep, and that's that was why you know the program entered this year at a crossroads, and is is probably going to enter twenty twenty three once again at a crossroads. And so you know, um, hopefully, Mac Brown just lets him come back from recruiting and, and does what ne- and, and tells him what you know, and does what needs to be done. It's it doesn't appear that's what's going to happen. Um, but you know you got you got to start somewhere. He was reluctant to fire Stacy Searles a year ago. He wasn't really reluctant to fire Jay Bateman. He he had no problem getting him out of town. Um, him or the special teams coaches. He's he's been extremely harsh on the special teams coaches that he has gotten out yeah. of here very quickly. But for some reason, and I don't know, is it because of recruiting? I know people have said that there are. That, that Tim Cross has great ties to the talent on the defensive line. Well, Dre Bly had great great ties to a lot of the guys on this roster. Maybe we shouldn't have general. such great relationship with these players. Maybe we should just have coaches that are jerks. And these maybe that's – are they too nice? I don't – I mean – I I, I I don't want great relationships. I, I want great production. Well, no. Relationships are a part of what you have to do. And it's, it's, it, you and with, I have a crappy relationship, but we Matt have a good Brown, product. 
Well, that, yeah, well, that's questionable. With Mac Brown, relationships are always important. And I think you, you brought you brought it up earlier about Mac Brown and how special relationships are to him. I think this is just when it comes to the old school guys that have been at Carolina in any any sport, relationships are extremely important. It is different. They take that old school mindset of trying to know every player individually, every coach individually. So yes, I understand why relationships are important. But my thing with that is, who cares if you have the relationships if you're bringing these guys in and you're not developing them? They're not doing anything for you. You're getting the talent, great. But after a while, if you continue not to develop, is the talent just going to say, you know what, this isn't really worth going there? They have, yeah, great relationships. I feel close ties to these guys. But am I gonna am I gonna make anything of myself? By going there, like that's that's the thing that I just I can't get over. And the other one that's driving me insane. And I know we'll, we brought this up, and we're we'll, we're about to talk a little bit about Corey Gaynor here in just a minute. But the the person that I cannot believe people are sticking up for, no matter what, is Brian Hess. What in the hell has this dude done to make people believe that this dude is some saint? I, I just I just don't understand it. People are like, well, these guys are conditioned great. Really? What what position groups are you seeing that at? I, I just, like, th- this is a team that, to me, at times, you've seen it throughout the years. They have been worn down by teams, by, by, by the teams that they are supposed to be competing with, that you would expect them to compete with, and even teams that you would expect them to beat pretty easily. See Georgia Tech the last two years. My thing is, and people have argued about this aspect to me, I watch the offensive and defensive lines both get bullied routinely. Both have talented guys that take a long, long time to put on the size, to build their bodies the right way. There are still guys that seem undersized at times on that Tar Heel defensive line. How in the hell? Is that not on the strength and conditioning staff? I was told by somebody that physicality has nothing to do with the strength and conditioning staff. How in the world do you actually believe that? From Seriously. It, I'm going to quote my, 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 one of my co-hosts of my radio show. Uh, people are stupid. Uh, I mean, I just come and, on. And, and when it comes to defending him, it, at this point, it's stupidity and it's idiotic. And, it, and it, 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 it's idiotic. When a football coach gets hired, the most important hire that that head coach makes isn't his coordinators, isn't his position coaches, isn't even his director of his recruiting staff. It is the strength and conditioning coach because they set the tone for everything on and off the field. And a lot like we learned with Jay Bateman, we're learning with Brian Hess the, the, the hard way. He's just not a power five conditioning coach. He came from Army. Like, like, he built guys differently there, and you're, it worked. You're, when your players, back-to-back years, are getting abused by Georgia Tech, there's a problem. I mean, it's over and over again, though. Like, And people just do not see it. But, again, when it is everybody in the room, you, there it cannot just be the players are not doing what they're supposed to be doing. And look, man— 
We talked about Tim Cross there. It's not all on Tim Cross. It really isn't. Some of it is on Gene Chizik. I think it's 50-50. I think a lot of it, I think it's 50% the players aren't good enough and 50% the coaching isn't good enough. That's what I think it is. But with the coaching is the strength and conditioning staff. They are... They are in there. They are cut. They they are coupled in there with Tim Cross. Like it's just, you you have to be able to develop these guys, and especially on the defensive line. This team has been undersized at times. You can say whatever you want about the scheme with Jay Bateman, whatever. Well, you were brought in. You knew how to build guys with Jay Bateman at Army. And there were guys that just didn't seem to be built to even fit his system here. That's what is mind-blowing to me. So, I don't know. Like, is he the most important guy that has to go? No. I could live with him being here. I Tim Cross, I think, is the guy that you need to move on from because we said last year at this time that we could, we could go another year with him, but if he struggled again, then he would have to go. He beyond struggled. He was god-awful. That that unit was terrible, so you have to make that move there. But I mean, Brian has. I just don't get the people laying laying everything on the line for this dude. It does not make sense to me. So uh, we are going to take a quick break. We'll move on from the coaching talk and head over to the return of a Tar Heel offensive lineman, uh, a guy that will anchor the Tar Heel offensive line this upcoming season. Find out who it is if you haven't heard already and uh, our reactions to his return right here on the Yield Tough Blog Podcast back right after this. The NFL playoff picture is locked in, and my go-to place for wild card round action is DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. To kick off the road to Super Bowl 57, new customers can bet just $5 and get 200 in free bets instantly, plus All new and existing customers can get a no-sweat bet each day of the wild card round this weekend. Just place any NFL bet of your choice, and if it loses, you'll get a free bet back up to $10. Action so good, why bet NFL playoffs anywhere else? This is the app, guys, that I have used throughout the entire season. I've won plenty of money. And I have to go and bet on my New York Giants this weekend. I feel like they've got the chance to go up to Minneapolis and pull off the upset. I'm going to place my bets on DraftKings Sportsbook right now. And I encourage you to do the same. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use the promo code TPPN. New customers can bet $5 on the NFL and get 200 in free bets instantly. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with the code TPPN. PN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. There are plenty of ways to find out everything that you need to know about Tar Heel football and basketball. Just go to Facebook, search at Heel Tough Blog, and find the Heel Tough Blog Facebook page and like it. When you do everything, the articles, the podcast, all in one central location on your timeline. Not a big Facebook user? Head over to Twitter, at HeelToughBlog on Twitter. Make sure you give it a follow, and you can follow the personal pages of our talents here at the Heel Tough Blog, at HTB Anthony for Anthony Pagnata, myself, at HTB underscore 
Josh for Josh Marlowe and at HackZubber2 for our recruiting analyst, Zach Hubbard. Hey guys, welcome back in Heel Tough Blog Podcast. Anthony Pagnata, Josh Marlowe with you. Let's talk about a guy that is going to be coming back for the 2023 season in Chapel Hill. It is Corey Gaynor, the Tar Heel starting center from this past season. He will not only forego his chance to go to the NFL draft, but news did come out on Monday from Mac Brown that he has officially received back uh, the uh, decision on his waiver claim, and he does get an extra year, so he is going to return for a second season in Chapel Hill. This past season, not bad, second on the team in both run block and pass protection grade according to Pro Football Focus, allowed the fewest overall pressures with 13 this past season and uh, did also allow uh, just two sacks, which was tied for the lowest on the team. Uh, You know, had some up and down moments just like the rest of this offensive line. The biggest area that he has to get cleaned up, eight penalties this season. That was second most on the team this year, Uh, second only behind Ed Montalis. But uh, this is a pretty big move for Carolina as they do get a veteran back in the middle of that offensive line unit, which is big, especially considering the fact that Brian Anderson is leaving. Um, and, you know, they they want to be able to use Willie Lampkin uh, probably at that guard spot with Ed Montalis uh, departing uh, after this season. Uh, he is just retiring, is going to remain a student on campus, but is retiring from football. So uh, this is a move that I, I think helps Carolina in multiple ways to get back a guy that has been a veteran in the ACC and uh, earned all ACC honorable mention this past year. Yeah, I mean it's 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 a step in towards of getting some answers of what this offense is going to look like next year. It probably makes Chip Lindsey uh, a lot more at ease right now as he's trying to, you know, as he'll be getting ready to install a, a brand new you know, a new offense. I know they're going to keep a lot of the the same principles and verbiage that Phil Longo did. Um, and so having your guy up front to to set the scene is going to be a big part of that. Um, I I just wonder, kind of like with with Brian Anderson, has Corey Gaynor like reached a plateau where he's played his best football, and what we saw this year was the best he had to offer? Um, because you know you you would like to have have a guy that you know could could still can continue to improve because he he really struggled down the second half of the season, but you know you have an experienced signal or a a guy under center with Drake May, so you don't have to worry about. There being a whole lot of chemistry issues when it comes to that. Carolina's already lost what, two other members from that offensive line. Yep, yep. Awesome so, Richards also going to the NFL. So you got both guys on the left side that which was are just departing. a laughable decision from him. Ed Montalis, you'd probably imagine that's probably, you know, something health related or something like that, or maybe he just doesn't love football anymore. I, I think it's just he's you know what? I think it's kinda that he's gotten to that plateau. He probably thinks that he's he's done what he what he can and no offense to Ed Montalis. I think we all know this with him. He he's a guy that wasn't probably going to play at the next level by any stretch. So uh, I think he just knew, look, it's time for me to go ahead and focus on what I'm eventually going to do. And I don't think we should fault him for that decision at all. I think, 
You know, and when it comes to Awesome Richards, I I, I got to tell you, I don't really know what to make of that decision. We didn't we didn't talk about it on here. I didn't mention it on one of the other editions of the podcast um, when we were breaking down. I forget which guy it was uh, that's coming in as a transfer, but I, I to me. I guess if you're him, and look, it's not the worst strategy in the world. I mean, look, Josh Azudu left last year, was drafted in the third round. Marcus McKeithen last year was drafted in the fifth round. Those were guys that, I mean, look, we thought maybe, maybe Joshua Azudu would get drafted because of some of his, of his versatility. I never imagined that he would get drafted in the third round. That That was absolutely stunning. And look, as a New York Giants fan, I know that we were – in need of guys on the offensive line. That felt like a reach there. McKeithen felt like a reach. But look, Zudu was solid when he was in there this past year. So you kind of wonder. Um, you know, in terms of, of his return and, and, and him plateauing out, I think one of the hardest things about this is that if you did want to move on from him, or or not not even move on from him, but if you thought that there was a guy that could take you to the next level – that's a younger player, there really isn't that guy on the roster. Because Carolina, as good as they've done recruiting in some areas, the offensive line has been iffy. I mean, they've had some – I think they've recruited certain positions well. I think the tackle spot, they've brought in some good talent, Um, although some of that right now is still struggling to be developed, it looks like. Uh, Eli Sutton's a guy that you know I thought was going to come in as a four star and, and could make an impact um, you know at, at late in year one could at least make the two deep or you know be a guy that at least showed up this past year but he isn't on there that's again going back to that strength and conditioning staff why is he a guy that's not ready to go um, but I, I think you know the center position is just an area they have not recruited. I, I they, when was the last time they actually brought in a legitimate center prospect, Brian Anderson? So I mean, that's the thing is that Carolina really hasn't recruited that position all that great. So I, I think this is big. It allows Willie Lampkin to play a guard. And here's the thing: look, if Corey Gaynor really struggles that much, which I mean, if if you look at the issues that Carolina had on the offensive line this year. You said that he struggled a little bit late in the year. I, I think, you know, penalties, yes. Outside of that, I don't really think he was all that bad down the stretch. I think that was more your guard play because I thought both Ed Montalus and William Barnes really, really struggled late in the year. But, look, if he struggles that bad, you've got Willie Lampkin who has played tackle, has played guard, and has played center. Um, ideally, probably don't want him at tackle. Um, that was really probably the weakest spot that he played. But um, I, I do think that you can use him at either guard or center. Um, so if they feel like they have to go to Willie Lampkin at some point, I, I, f- I feel like they will. And that would then allow you to you know find somebody else at the guard positions. But but the thing is, is that it gives you – so now there are veterans pretty much across the board here. Granted, Lampkin's a guy coming up from Coastal Carolina, uh, so it is a little bit of a jump going from group of five to power five. But I do think that it's one that you, you, can, you can navigate to some respects because of just how dominant he was. So you got him at left guard. You'll have Gaynor at center. You'll have – Barnes at right guard, although with him, I, I would like to see Adorno push him a little bit there. And then you have Spencer Rowland at right tackle. 
And then the other que- the the only question really remaining is that left tackle spot. Is Zach Rice ready to step up? Or, you know, Mac Brown said that Carolina is done as of right now with the transfer portal, but they could revisit it in the spring. And is that something where they could revisit it in the middle of the spring, in spring practice, and see what they've got early on in some of these guys and then potentially bring in some competition? You never really know. So that'll be the big thing, the big question mark. So I think having that extra layer of security, a veteran in there at center that was there this past year that provided some stability that allows you to play your transfer at guard instead of center and you don't have to find two full-time starters instead of just one, I think that's a big get for Carolina. Then you go to uh, the transfer news. Uh, Justin Olsen, wide receiver who was a starter in seven games a year ago, played in all 13 games a year ago, played in just 10 this year. Uh, Carolina clearly a year ago really just felt like they had no choice at one point just to play him out there. And definitely a guy that was overwhelmed with the situation that he was put in. Not really all his fault. He was a guy that came in and was going to be a developmental guy, kind of one of those extra uh, add-ons to a class that if he turned out to be a good player, um, then then great. But was you know a guy that had a, a lot of work to do when he got to campus. Um, just never really caught on at, at Carolina and just got passed over on the depth chart. I mean, went from a starter on the outside last year opposite of Antoine Green uh, to a guy that this year was you know behind Gavin Blackwell, behind J.J. Jones, behind Andre Green Jr. in the bowl game. Uh, Kobe Pesor, if he was to split out wide, did a little bit of that in the game against Clemson. He was behind him. And then you're bringing in Devontae Walker on the outside from Kent State. So, yeah, it it seemed like he was fighting an uphill battle here. Um, and, And it's a loss that I think Carolina can really sustain pretty easily considering the fact that along with Devontae Walker, the team is also bringing in guys out of the high school level, Chris Culliver coming in, top player in Carolina's class uh, that they just signed in the early signing period for 2023. Chris uh, Christian Hamilton, a guy that can kind of play either in the slot or on the outside, and then Paul Billups, who fits sort of that jump ball wide receiver type of guy. So this one, not really all that concerning. Wasn't even a guy that really played a ton of special teams. I mean, he played 32 snaps there this year, so not a guy that I think was going to make much of a major impact, and then Carolina does go into uh, the transfer portal to a certain extent. They do get Australian League uh, football punter uh, Tom uh, Mangalese. He comes in. Uh, this is the second time, of course, that Carolina has dipped into Australia to grab a punter. The last one worked out pretty well. Tom Sheldon was a guy that we uh, we liked a lot. Uh, we thought he did some really good things for Carolina the most interesting part of this, though, is that this kind of makes you wonder what is the status of Ben Kiernan moving forward. Um, now, you know, he he does bring, you know, he has three years of eligibility left, um, Mangalese, that is, but it, it will be interesting to monitor this. Is Ben Kiernan a guy that's going to take advantage of that COVID year? Because 
I, I thought this year he was really pretty solid throughout the entire season, had one of the better averages not only in the ACC but in the entire country. Uh, so this will definitely be something to monitor moving forward. I know you know, when it, when it comes to this battle as opposed to some of the other big ones on the team, it's probably not going to draw a, a lot of headlines. But it's definitely something that will be interesting to monitor. And we have you covered on all of those headlines and much more uh, as we go throughout the offseason on HeelToughBlog.com. We've got the article up there breaking down Carolina's decision to part ways uh, with Dre Bly. Um, We'll tell you why we think that is ultimately the right decision. We dive into that a little bit more than we did here on the podcast. Uh, And then we will be monitoring any other coaching moves that Carolina could possibly be making. We do have an article up there that you can check out. uh, Sort of dives into the cases for uh, Tim Cross, Brian Hess, and Gene Chizik uh, in terms of their uh, statuses moving forward on there. It's called Should They Stay or Should They Go? Dre is in there, but uh, you could still read that article and just uh, kind of gloss over that one section uh, to see why uh, we we think that uh, guys should go or they should stay. And then uh, also make sure that you guys are checking out uh, the final grades for the 2022 season. Those will be coming out. We're bla- we break down each position group, we hand out a grade. We've done it every single year. You guys have loved it, and so uh, it, we are doing that again this season after a year that started out so great for Carolina at 9-1 and one, but finished rather disappointing with four straight losses as they close the year 9-5. and five. Make sure uh, you check out the basketball coverage on the website as well uh, as Carolina is in the midst of conference season. They dropped to 11-6. and six. But the hope is that Armando Baycott will be all right and that Carolina can get back to rolling in the ACC. And also check out the podcast there uh, at, at the top of the page. Four Corners Podcast has a tab up there, and the Heel Tough Blog Podcast has a tab up there as well. So, once again, that wraps up for this edition of the podcast. want to thank Josh for hosting with me. want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, go Tar Heels! Anthony here. We want to thank you guys for listening to this edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. If you could, make sure you head over to wherever you listen to your podcast, find out where you can rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast, and go ahead and do that for us. The rating and reviewing, that helps us to move up some of those rankings, and the subscribing, that is for you, so you don't miss any editions of the podcast coming up. We look forward to you being a part of the Heel Tough Blog podcast family moving forward, and thank you once again for listening to this edition.